afternoon. My name is Maya Botek with Cinema Verde Environmental Film Festival. I'm here today with Casey Beck, the director of The Great Divide. Casey, if you'd like to introduce yourself and give us a brief summary of your film, that would be great. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Maya, for having me. Um, the Great Divide, uh, it was really a labor of love. Um, you know, it, we filmed for over a year as this small town, it's actually called a hamlet in, in the Central Valley in California, is pushing forward one possible solution to their drinking water issue. And basically they've had contaminated drinking water uh, for decades now, um, have been receiving bottled water through the state of California for the last over 12 years, although that was when we shot two years ago, so now 14 years. Um, and one of the solutions is trying to consolidate their community water system, which is just a tiny little water system serving these 300 people with their more affluent, bigger neighbor, which is the city of Exeter in, in the Central Valley, about an hour south of Fresno in California. And uh, we were there chronicling um, the community meetings, the activism, the grassroots campaign that um, the people of Tooleyville undertook in order to try to get clean water delivered to their faucets and not just from bottles from, from the state. And um, I don't want to spoil it, but the <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that too. Maybe I should just spoil it. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't end the way we would all hope, which is with a consolidation. It actually ends um, pretty devastatingly with just the status quo. Nothing. Nothing changed. Changed by the end. So. Um, it's you know I think a story when we started filming, we came in year you know. 18 of this problem it was it's been going on a long time and as outsiders and as filmmakers I think we felt really optimistic that all of these everything was in place for for this to be the year for that to be the year for the consolidation to happen and um, perhaps it's not surprisingly that it didn't happen a lot of these changes take many decades to to it to enact um, and I think we were maybe, as as outsiders and filmmakers, a little naive to think that that would be the year that it happened. So it's still still an ongoing issue that the people of Tooleyville are dealing with. Interesting. And so Tooleyville is this town, is this town in Southern California. Um, in the film, it says there's two streets and roughly 80 homes. So how did you and uh, your producers, your crew, decide to film in such a small location, and how did you choose Tooleyville? So we met first with a group of scientists and activists at the the um, at UC Davis, so the University of California Davis, and we were interested in doing a piece about water contamination. Uh, I had heard a statistic; it's true from that the University of California Davis included in a, a summary report, a huge summary report that they did about the state of water in in California, that over one million people in California do not have access to safe drinking water. And I had just come back from shooting a film about water contamination in Des Moines, Iowa, and at the looking at the Raccoon River there, which has extremely high levels of nitrates from the farming upriver and, you know, sending that downstream to this major metro, metropolitan area. And I had always thought of this as not a, like certainly not a California problem. Like this is water issues, water contamination or happens elsewhere. You know, we hear about these kind of big, you hear about the Flint, you know, you, I had just done all this research and work in, in Des Moines. And to think that in the state of California, there are a million people that water was flabbergasted. I mean, I was flabbergasted. Um, to, I didn't understand 
why that wasn't national news, why that wasn't something that everyone knew. Um, and so I felt very called, the producer and I felt both felt very called to make a short about this in our home state where we we're living and went to UC Davis, met, said, met with the people there, scientists there, um, lawyers, activists, you know, and said, where where is this most pressing? Where is this happening right now? Because we are filmmakers. So, you know, we, we need a, a story that's that is happening in real time. That's always your most compelling story, I think, or the most story, I would say the stories that are most compelling for me. And so we um, met with them and they said, you know, you should really check out Tuleville. And when we looked into it and saw it went down, we were like, this is, this is crazy. You know, for us, the solution seems so easy. Um, and yet it's something that's taken many, many, many years to even kind of bring to the table. Uh, we worked with the um, Leadership Council, which is a, a nonprofit that works in the Central Valley about different contamination and pollution. So it's not just water contamination, but also looking into air pollution and other environmental factors that affect health. And they are, are talking about or work with, I should say, local communities on and that's how we met Pedro was through leadership council. And he actually started out as just a person. I mean, I would almost say like a fixer, like just a person who's there to help orient us, to introduce us to people. Um, he's been working in the community, you know, for several years and, over the course of filming, it became very obvious that Pedro was also part of the story. And part of the story was this grassroots campaign and was this local activism to try to make change. Interesting. And so when you were there, you obviously uh, saw the raw emotions of the people of Tulaville. You saw their, uh, the citizens go through the struggle with the city council of Exeter. And so how did you as a filmmaker feel watching and seeing these emotions on exhibit? I mean, it's always so hard. I think it's, there's this line as a filmmaker that, you know, I think especially independent documentary filmmakers, especially independent documentary filmmakers working in the environmental sphere, we do what we do because we want to help. And so, you know, there's this line of, you want to help and you're telling yourself and hoping and praying that what you're doing, filming these emotions, filming this kind of outpouring um, is actually going to make a change. Uh, and it's tough because these things take so long to change. I mean, society takes so long in some cases to change. And then it's like the change will happen. And it seems so fast, like, oh, wow, that happens so fast, that awareness or that realization, that societal realization about something. And we kind of forget that it took a long time and a lot of building to get to that point where the change seems fast. So obviously it's really difficult and above all, you know, I am a person, we as filmmakers, it's like, you're there, you're doing your job, you're, you know, hoping that your work making a film is going to help the situation and improve the situation. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you also are just there to be, you're, you're present, you're almost just a witness to what's going on. And that there's a power in that too. You know, it's like, whenever something happens, we as humans have a, uh, a tendency to kind of like want to turn to the person next to us, but are you seeing this, right? Like, can you see this? And I think it's even more interesting when you turn to that person next to you, are you seeing this? And they have a camera and it's like, okay, you're definitely seeing this. So I hope that we were able to um, bolster the people as they're going through those emotions in that way. 
So you kind of touched upon this a bit already with your work, as you said, in Des Moines, Iowa, but how do you think the situation in Tooleyville uh, kind of serves to speak to the larger environmental issues in the United States? Well, I think, you know, it's really, the thing that comes to mind with Tooleyville is that there is not a movement toward placing blame. And Pedro says this too, you know, in the first couple minutes of the film, he says, look, we can talk about who did this to the water, but really at the end of the day, we just want clean water. That's it. And I, you know, I understand that approach. Um, and I, I think on a, from an organizational approach, that makes a lot of sense because once you start targeting the people who are to blame, Typically in the United States, the people who are to blame will always have more money, will always have better lawyers, will already always have more time to fight the fight so that they can keep doing what they're doing. And so I think in this case, you know, I, I do think it's a smart tactic to say, look, we're going to let go of the blame. We are never going to be able to place blame on big ag in California it won't happen in the state of California. It probably won't happen in the United States either. Any of these big industries that are so ingrained in state and national politics and, and, and financing so much, you know, uh, of those of that politics, it's not, it doesn't behoove the people who are victimized by these companies' actions to place the blame. It's more, uh, how do we find a solution? And I, I think it's interesting. It's not my, like personally, if I were just going out to, you know, fight the fight, I'd be like, well, who do we blame to make them pay for it, right? Um, but I think there's a lot of strategy and a lot of time that has gone into to thinking through this and to realize that, uh, in the United States, it's like to actually place the blame. I don't know if it would ever happen. You know, I just don't know that these companies are so ingrained in the political culture in our in our state and in our country. You know, it's it's like it's so obvious when you drive through, uh, you know, the Central Valley and you see these huge industrial farms. Um, you know, that's where the chemicals are coming from. But the chemicals are also, you know, naturally occurring in some places and in some quantities. So how can you ever fully prove it? And in Des Moines, they can't. I mean, they they went to court, a huge lawsuit um, that the, you know, city of Des Moines or the Waterworks tried to sue companies or counties, actually, agricultural counties upriver and couldn't, couldn't win. They, you know, they had... Um, pipes leading out from the farms to, and dumping water into the rivers. Um, and so the water was, you know, draining down or moving down through this soil, which is just laced with nitrates and other fertilizers and pesticides, um, draining down and then moving it through this tile system is what it's called in Des Moines, out into the river, through these pipes, into the river, and then the water is going downstream to, to um, Des Moines, and that's what people are drinking. And uh, they couldn't, they said, no, we can't prove that the water is coming from those places when there's like visual evidence of these pipes. So how much harder would it be in a place like Tuleville where this is all, um, you know, subterranean, it's all happening underground, no one can see anything. So do you plan in the future to continue making films kind of exposing and bringing to light these environmental issues or what are your kind of next steps in your process of filmmaking as you move forward? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently in post-production for another short film about air pollution in Houston, uh, which is basically, you know, as we're talking about that, I was like, I wonder if I should mention this air pollution documentary. It's about oil refineries and other big industries in Houston, um, dumping toxic chemicals into the air, carcinogens into the air with no impunity, I mean, with total impunity, um, not getting fined, asking for higher permits from the state to release more chemicals into the air. And meanwhile, you know, they, people are dying from cancer in, in huge numbers. It's, it's, I would say it doesn't add up, but it does add up. It's like, well, you dump those chemicals into the air and where those people live, they're, they're getting cancer at higher rates. Um, so it's something that is really, it's like, as soon as Pandora's box, I mean, the truth is as soon as you open up that box and start looking into where industry is taking advantage of no regulation or no oversight or no enforcement of regulation, um, those companies are just going to push, push, push until they're, they're told not to, or enforced not to. And, and it, it has, they have to feel the pinch. They have to feel the financial burden of this pollution or else they're going to keep doing it. You know, if you find a, a refinery, I think the fines that recently came down in Houston were like a million dollars. These are billion dollar companies. A million dollars to them is like a, a, a coffee at, you know, Starbucks. Like they're like, okay, great. Sure. Write the check. It's the cost of doing business. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like now that I've uh, kind of started the process, more and more stories just keep coming my way. And not surprisingly, but, you know, it's important to note there's a huge intersection of this pollution and contamination and just total, you know, destroying of the environment in places that are primarily communities of color. So in places where people have historically been marginalized, um, you know, you look at why people live where they live and it's because of historic racism that pushed them literally to the fringes, to the outskirts of, of the cities of, of society in that sense. Well, and that's also where they pushed the refineries, where they pushed the big ag, the CAFOs, everything else was out and that's where those two um, have met and with really horrific consequences for the people who live there. Well, it seems like the Great Divide was a very compelling microcosm for kind of the other inequalities to water access that exist in the United States. And these are very important issues that we want to expose our viewers to and we are really excited to debut this film in the Environmental Film Festival, Cinema Verde. We wanted to thank you again so much for coming to speak with us and for sharing your time with us. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Maya. And thank you so much to the Cinema Verde audience. I'm so excited for you all to see the film. And um, I hope you learn learn a lot. And, you know, I, it, it, just that number, I hope that number sticks in your head of a million people in California without, it's, it's, um, <laughs> Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye.